Welcome to Tech Insights from InfoTech Research Group, the podcast where our team of expert analysts cut through all the noise and focus on what really matters for technology leaders. Do you like movies where the bad guy wins? It doesn't happen often, but sometimes screenplay writers take a risk and surprise us with a bummer ending. Some famous examples include Basic Instinct, No Country for Old Men, and of course, Star Wars Episode V, The Empire Strikes Back. Remember, that's the one where Luke finds out Darth Vader is his father after getting his hand chopped off. Well, if 2020 was a movie, I feel like it's a movie where the bad guys win. It's been a bummer year, mostly because of the pandemic, but also because of the world's response to it not always being so great. In fact, some people are willing to take advantage of the situation. You might call them villains or hackers in this situation. According to a new data from the Canadian Internet Registration Authority, businesses are focusing more attacks during the pandemic compared to last year. Worse yet, the attacks are being themed to take advantage of the pandemic. And because businesses are being disrupted, IT is not very certain whether it can get together the resources and the people it needs to fight back. Here now to discuss the state of cybersecurity in Canada is Spencer Callahan, the Communications and Content Manager at the Canadian Internet Registration Authority. Welcome, Spencer. Thank you. And also joining us is Aaron Shum, Infotech's practice lead for our cybersecurity group. Hi, Aaron. Hey, Brian. Great. So let's get right to the data with this report, Spencer, because I saw that about three in 10 organizations, and again, these are IT workers that uh, work for Canadian organizations that were surveyed. So three in 10 organizations are seeing a spike in the volume of attacks during the pandemic. Did that surprise you? Uh, Not really. I mean, I think that there's sort of two factors at play there. Um, one is that, you know, obviously a lot of uh, businesses shifted to a completely virtual workforce or remote workforce. So, um, you know, that definitely shifted um, kind of the nature of the attacks and I guess the, uh, you know, the vectors that the, the attackers could come in via. Um, and then I think the other one is just the atmosphere. Um, you know, the, the pandemic in itself creates an atmosphere of anxiety and uh you know as we all know you know you can have the 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 most of the technological solutions that you can you can implement all kinds of firewalls and safety precautions but the number one risk factor is human frailty and 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 humans making mistakes and obviously as we all know you're more prone to make mistakes when you're when you're anxious uh when you're stressed and i think that the you know it just it kind of makes sense that uh you know if you're a hacker or if you're some someone trying to infiltrate a system you would take advantage of that situation Yeah, that makes perfect sense. And I wasn't surprised by it either, Spencer, because I remember back in my journalism days when I was writing about uh, cybersecurity um, often, um, you know, I would always see that hackers would coordinate their attacks or if there was some big thing in the news, they were very situational. They would change their attacks to to take advantage of that. And of course, the pandemic's no different. So it's just sort of like amplified in, in how big of an impact it, it is since it's such a worldwide and important event. Uh, Aaron, what do you make of, of the increase in the number of attacks? Yeah, I absolutely agree with uh, Spencer's um uh, on, on the two items there, um, definitely a lot of 
um, organizations that we speak to uh, as research analysts and advisors um, still tell us that their main defense is is built around the idea of a perimeter. Um, over the last few years with the uh, proliferation of, of cloud technologies, they still see cloud as part of their network and that uh, and that individual users uh, still are protected in, in some way by uh, a virtual perimeter. So when COVID hit and uh, everyone became uh, remote workers and, and, and that perimeter essentially dissolved um, and attackers were very quick in identifying um, that gap. I mean, imagine if, if the fence uh, around your home suddenly has a big gaping hole. Um, you know, that's uh, that's definitely not a good thing. Um, so the pandemic's definitely uh, affected how organizations um, view uh, how they protect uh, their crown jewels, their assets, uh, and their employees and workers. Um, and uh, and by seeing these uh, increase in attack, uh, we know the bad guys are watching and, and they're trying all the things they can. Yeah, I mean, I, you know, if you are seeing more attacks, you might think that you would want to hire more people. Like that was the first thing that occurred to me seeing, oh, these businesses are seeing more attacks. So therefore, they might want more staff to help out with cybersecurity. And especially, as you say, Aaron, given the more complicated scenario, you have more remote workers, maybe even have more devices. Uh, you don't have something like, a, you know, the, the firewall, the network firewall to keep you protected like you would on your own office. But I was surprised to learn in this report, fewer organizations are expecting to increase human resources dedicated to cybersecurity in the next 12 months. Only one-third of organizations are planning to increase human resources, which sounds not bad, right? One-third of businesses planning to hire more, but that's down from 45% planning to do so in 2019. Uh, Spencer, what did you make of that uh, response? Yeah, I mean, that's, I mean, I think that there's, um, the, the main factor at play there is probably just uh, resources. I mean, if you think about how COVID-19, how the pandemic has impacted our economy, um, you know, there are, there are many businesses that are struggling. So I'm guessing, uh, you know, unfortunately, we didn't uh, we didn't dive deeper into that particular question. But I'm guessing that one of the factors there is just uh, businesses having taken, in some cases, a revenue hit because of the pandemic and therefore are less likely to have the funds to be able to increase their, uh, you know, their human resources on that end. I mean, you know, seeing, uh, you know, about a third planning to increase resources is, is still good. I mean, I think that that is a positive, but it is down from last year. And I would guess the, the it's sort of the macroeconomic factors at play there, but yeah, I think that's it. Yeah, Aaron, what are you hearing from our Infotech members? Are they hiring or are they not hiring? <laughs> I I agree with Spencer. I think uh, most organizations are looking at it from an economical factor. Uh, what we're hearing from our members, uh, member organizations are um, IT leaders and security leaders being asked to do more with less. Um, and in fact, a lot of organizations are uh, looking at how they can reshuffle their resources. So uh, one sort of incidental effect here uh, that isn't necessarily um, portrayed by the numbers is that, hey, maybe there is a reshuffling of resources. Uh, if traditionally I have uh, six or eight um, security professionals uh, handling my internal firewalls, as Brian, you mentioned. Um, now they're not 
uh, spending as much time on those firewalls and maybe we can repurpose them for uh, for managing, uh, you know, the risks on the external facing side. So maybe there's a silver line. Uh, but from what we're hearing, it's really just tightening of the belts. Um, organizations uh, saying to the IT leaders, uh, you're just going to have to spend less next year, but still keep us safe. That's pretty interesting that you wouldn't necessarily need to have just more resources. Maybe you just need to position your resources differently uh, because of the new scenario of cybersecurity that, that's in front of your organization. So that, that might help you make up some of the ground there, uh, certainly. And that phrase, uh, do more with less, I feel like that's the motto of, of IT, uh, or at least it is when they're talking to their business partners. Um, but there are some things that have been done in response to the pandemic. Uh, slightly more than a half of organizations are implementing new cybersecurity protections in response to COVID-19. Um, so Spencer, what sort of things did you see organizations doing in response to COVID-19? Well, I think the, the biggest thing it would be um, responses that would... Um, uh, going in tandem with a, a mobile first uh, workforce or a remote first workforce. So um, that would be things like uh, VPNs, things like extending uh, firewalls uh, further around their network, um, things like device protections, uh, whether it be two-factor authentication or things like that. Um, you know, when you have a workforce that is now being sent home, uh, obviously you have to change your footprint and you have to change your uh, your stance because now you have uh, all of your devices are essentially uh, on other people's potentially unsecured Wi-Fi. I mean, you know, we had a we had a funny a funny uh, uh, graphic on social media that said, you know, uh, I think we saw that uh, thirty percent of uh, and remember these are IT professionals that answered this survey. I believe it was thirty percent of them said they still use personal devices. Uh, on their for business purposes. So, you know, could you imagine uh, if you had a kid who was into uh, Minecraft and you're side loading mods for Minecraft on the same device that you're using to access your IT network? So I think that all of that, it just causes a, a shift in the things that you need to do to protect yourself. And I think another big one is just training and awareness. Um, you know, we saw a, a big shift in the demand and the interest in training and awareness, because again, the number one, uh, you know, problem with with the uh, security and with breaches is usually a human error or some sort of uh, person doing something they shouldn't do. So, increasing that visibility for training and for awareness of the issues and and things they need to watch out for, I think, is a big factor as well. Aaron, what have you been advising your clients to uh, do? Have you been telling them to deploy any new uh, cybersecurity technologies or approaches or methods? Yeah, interestingly, uh, security awareness was the number one uh, recommendation we had. Um, back in uh, March, when uh, when Infotech produced a uh, top five cybersecurity priorities um, research paper, um, you know, when we saw the pandemic happen, when we saw the incident, incidental effects, a lot of our members come to us and say, well, you know, what can we buy? Like, what, what can we get to, to protect our, our remote workers? Um, but a lot of times it, it really is back down to the basics. Um, I think focusing on security awareness, definitely an important thing. Uh, additional advice that we provide there is uh, don't use the same program. If you, if you go out to the employees and say, well, you just 
going to have to go through what you did last year. Again, uh, they're going to, you know, their eyes are going to glaze over. They're going to say, well, I'm busy enough. I'm stressed enough with COVID. Um, and uh, this is nothing new, right? Um, so it's really more about focusing on what uh, is applicable to the current situation. So focusing on how to stay safe on your personal device, how to harden, uh, improve the security of your uh, of your home secure uh, your home network, um, and uh, and again like just reinforcing some of the the foundational how to safely handle data. Um, it's uh, Spencer had a great point around. Uh, sharing of devices. Um, a lot of companies had to all of a sudden relax uh, their managed device policies, uh, whereas in the past you would, you must have a, a comp company sanctioned uh, mobile device. Uh, a lot of companies with those policies had to essentially break those requirements uh, and allow people to, to log in from anywhere, from any device. Um, so uh, for for those situations, aside from security awareness and training, uh, we recommended um, better visibility. Uh, and this is where I think a lot of organizations struggle. Um, they um, and, and relating to my earlier point about perimeter, uh, a lot of organizations have visibility when things are in their office premises. Uh, once devices leave their office, they really don't know like what's protecting uh, the laptops, what's protecting the mobile devices. Um, so there are a lot of newer technologies within the last couple of years, uh, VPNs and extensions such as Secure Access Service Edge um, solutions uh, that are meant to be that intermediary gate uh, where if someone logs in from home, that they're able, that IT is able to see, okay, here's the traffic, here's the pattern that's happening. Uh, you know, it is not a one-size-fit-all uh, solution. It's very expensive to implement. It does require some overhaul. Um, so my my sort of ultimate advice to most IT leaders is, uh, how confident can you be when your CEO comes to you and say, "Are we secure?" And uh, mm -hmm. and at some point, they really need to be able to say, uh, "We're secure enough," and or we're secure within my knowledge and, and and be comfortable in saying that yeah. they, they know what's going on. That's right. That's the language that cybersecurity experts have to speak because they know that there's nothing that's hack-proof. There's no certainties. You're, you're talking about risk mitigation here, and it never gets to 100%. Um, as, as you guys are talking about training, I'm thinking of, like, what has InvoDeck done for us um, for training during this pandemic in relation to cybersecurity? And the thing that comes to my mind is, is the great uh, phishing tests they do like i know that the it team does sends out these emails um that that are trying to bait us into clicking through when we shouldn't um i, I have you seen those aaron yeah they're pretty tricky like when they'll be like they'll, they'll appear to come from your manager or um one of the executives so it, it i find myself um being pulled in before realizing um, you know, it's it's not a, a real email, but um, I see a lot of organizations actually do that as well, right, Spencer? That this is a pretty common tactic is um, phishing um, experiments or, or phishing testing. Yeah, I mean, f phishing has been uh, a growing problem, and I think it ties in well with what I was talking earlier about anxiety in the pandemic. So, you know, you mentioned how often these phishing simulations uh, rely on real-world events, and, you know, COVID-19 is pretty much the biggest real world event I think I heard of in my lifetime. So um, I think that, you know, when you combine those two things, it makes for an interesting way 
to protect your organization to send out you know we have a you know we 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 saw a, a rise in um i'm sorry i believe it was 30 percent of organizations reported a covid 19 related phishing attack uh so what that basically means is something along the lines of uh hey uh click here to get your covid 19 um uh, uh test results or click here to download the covid 19 tracing app in fact we right. saw one of those it was in the it was in the news uh a couple months back so those have been really successful uh attack uh techniques that um some of the hackers have used and i think using similar techniques in your in your phishing simulation your phishing training is super important um you may have seen uh sierra was involved in a, in the maplesec um Canadian Cybersecurity Conference last week, and mm -hmm. we actually hosted a roundtable on training. And, you know, I think one of the big things, obviously, you know, there's lots of sort of technical aspects to training and process aspects to training. But to me, one of the biggest takeaways was just the idea that in order to make cybersecurity training more uh, accessible and more successful, it needs to be less about shaming less about catching people doing something wrong and more about teaching and learning. And I think that so it's not just about what tricks you use in your email to, t to catch people on phishing, but it's also about how you then follow up in that and make it seem like, hey, we're just trying to learn here, we're trying to improve, and it be something where employees feel good about learning and bringing those learnings back to you and saying, oh, hey, I found this email, uh, I think it's suspicious, what do you think? And so uh, I think building that culture is really important, particularly in, a, in an era of heightened anxiety that we're facing right now. Yeah, and so we're talking about organizations facing more attacks and what they're doing to defend against them here. And of course, there's consequences um, when it doesn't work out, when, when you're not able to successfully defend against all of these attacks coming in. Uh, we, we heard that one quarter of organizations experienced a breach of customer and or employee data last year. And that's at least, that's meaning one or more breaches. I, I think there were some of those organizations even had multiple breaches. Um, so the, another thing I noticed is that 38% um, for this question said they didn't know if they were breached or not, which made me a bit worried because sh shouldn't companies know at this point if they were at least uh, how if they can at least detect a breach or not? Uh, Spencer, how do you interpret this response here? Yeah, the I don't know question is always tricky, right? It's one of those questions that, uh, sorry, it's one of those responses you you kind of always have to put in these surveys. Uh, you have to have an I don't know question for 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 most responses in order to get an accurate sample. And so it's really hard to know what the respondents meant by that, whether they, you know, whether they meant, oh, there were so many that I couldn't count, uh, or whether they just don't have a good read on uh, whether their data has been breached or not. Because I mean, I would think if, if you knew you hadn't been breached, you'd be pretty unequivocal about that because it's, I would imagine, a source of pride amongst a lot of IT professionals. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's a difficult one to really, to really get, a, get a handle on. Aaron, how can organizations know if they're breached or not? It's, uh, it, it's all about uh, monitoring uh, and having a, a good incident process in place. Um, it is challenging, uh, and with a lot of organizations that we speak with, um, you know, you know, 
detection and uh, logging and monitoring is so far down their priority list. When the business comes and say, I need these IT services, I need these improvements, uh, they're busy enough, you know, doing more with less and, and just keeping the lights on. Um, where, whereby, uh, you know, when they come to us, to Infotech for, um, for advice, uh, the most common saying that I repeat day after day is, you don't know what you don't know and you can't protect what you don't know. Uh, and uh, and this is unfortunately a case, uh, the case with a lot of organizations uh, where uh, they may have suffered a data breach uh, that's more visible and that's uh, that's uh, pronounced enough where where they know for a fact that it's happened last year they've lost something someone emailed a, a list somewhere or or um, a hacker or hacker got in and um, and and infiltrated through uh, ransomware uh, for example or. Um, they really just don't know because they don't have that visibility. If if someone has breached their system, they really don't have the competence to to admit to it. Yeah, uh, you'll often read uh, these stories in the news about data breaches, and then you find out as you even though that it's just being reported by the company, it was something that happened in fact like years ago, um, and that the the length of time that went by before the company realized they were breached. It can often be many months or, or sometimes years because it is difficult, as you say, and, and hackers know how to evade uh, detection. So sometimes they're successful in that. So so knowing whether you're breached or not can be pretty hard. And, and that's why I think penetration testing can be such a good cybersecurity um, method because there's nothing like testing your defenses uh, other than b besides like doing some role playing, asking s some knowledgeable people to try to hack you. That that's often the best way to really test your metal. What do you think of that approach, Aaron? I absolutely agree. Um, testing your defenses, uh, relying on experts uh, that think alike. Uh, with hackers would be a great way. Uh, over the last few years, there's also an increase in um, in managed security service providers that do. Uh, things like dark web monitoring. A lot of times, as you mentioned, uh, Brian, uh, breaches that has happened years ago that doesn't come to light until later is because the attackers uh, didn't need that additional set of information that's being shopped around uh, in the dark web. Uh, hackers, uh, you know, one of the <laughs> the poster childs for uh, for for the biggest breaches in the last few years with the Marriott um, um, Starwood. Uh, breach where uh, because of the merger and acquisition, uh, the system and the data uh, that were uh, that were breached uh, dated all the way back to 2014. But it was only when uh, it needed uh, to be collect, you know, com combined with another data source recently that it came to light. Um, so lots of things that can be done: penetration testing and uh, as appropriate using. Uh, dark web or reputation monitoring services seem to be the going trend there. Let's get one more data point in here, Spencer, because I thought this was a, sort of an interesting uh, stat that was worth talking about because in Canada, we're required now, businesses are required since uh, 2019 to inform a, a regulatory body of a data breach. Often that regulatory body is the Privacy Commissioner of Canada. So um, what I noticed here is that only 36% of businesses that were breached are saying that they're making that um, 
choice to inform the regulatory body. And that's down from 58% that we're do was doing so last year. So, you know, if, if everybody was being compliant, we'd say 100% are informing um, the, the Privacy Commissioner or a regulatory body of data breaches, or pretty close to it, because not every uh, breach might meet that bar, right? There would be some breaches that won't include personal information, but it should be much higher than this. And it should certainly be at least where it was last year. Um, Spencer, what did you make of this point? Yeah, this one's a tricky one because uh, as you mentioned, you know, uh, we would obviously like to see this number as high as possible, but there are certain businesses that are, uh, I, I shouldn't say business organizations that are technically not covered by the legislation. So some uh, mm -hmm. governments and, and those types of uh, nonprofits mm -hmm. and things like that. But the vast majority of for-profit businesses are impacted by the regulations. And so uh, we would expect to see this number um, a lot higher. I mean, I guess there's one possibility would be, um, I believe uh, Aaron mentioned earlier, uh, some businesses may choose to put off notifying. So they may, uh, you know, they may, they may uh, be disclosing this breach at the point in the future, but just may have, may not have done so yet. Um, but, you know, really uh, it, it is, it's concerning. And I think you know, it, it's a situation where, um, you know, Canada had pretty lax privacy laws for quite a while uh, until the upgraded PIPIDA, which came into effect about two years ago. Um, and it might have caught a bunch of businesses off guard, it's, uh, is my guess. And there just there still seems to be some uh, catching up to do, which is interesting because all of the rumblings now suggest that the privacy legislation is actually going to get more strict um, in the future, uh, to perhaps in the near future. And so, um, you know, having that compliance, I think, is something that businesses are really going to start to have to deal with because it's one thing to have a data breach and, and, and you know, have customer data out there in, in public. But it's another thing to all of a sudden have it be something where you're starting to get fined or when you start to have reputational issues uh, due to your data being breached. And so I think that that's something that a lot of businesses are going to have to start to take a lot more seriously. Yeah, Aaron, um, we advise... Uh, not just Canadian um, cybersecurity professionals at Infotech, but also those in the U.S. and, and in fact, uh, throughout Europe and, and around the world, really. So there's all sorts of different compliance requirements. But how do you navigate that with your clients? And uh, when they come to us saying, I, I've got a breach, what should I do about it? What, what do you tell them? Uh, the, the the regulatory landscape uh, from a compliance breach uh, reporting perspective is definitely very complex. Um, as Spencer mentioned, on, on the Canadian side, it was a, a relatively recent uh, revamp to PIPIDA uh, that added the breach reporting. Um, in the U.S., for example, uh, all the states have very different breach reporting rules. So it can be anywhere from 72 hours up to 30 days. Um, so when we factor in uh, regulations like the European GDPR, where it has uh, the much shorter 24-hour uh, notification period, um, it's uh, it's just too complex. Um, uh, and as Spencer mentioned, the reputational aspect is uh, is quite a bit of a uh, quite a problem. Most organizations. So when they do suffer a breach, um, the question is, uh, do they tell anyone? Is it something that's going to be an exposure uh, to the organization? Uh, when I speak with uh, with our members, uh, it's always about what is the actual scope, what is the uh, reputational 
uh, impact on the organization and what is the regulatory exposure for the organization. Uh, so I would always recommend um, having a very clear understanding of uh, all of the jurisdiction where you operate uh, and the breach notification requirements. Um, take the most lowest common denominator, and that is the process you want to implement. Uh, and then uh, look at everything from a risk-based perspective, uh, inform all your stakeholders. One interesting fact, though, is um, after working with uh, within the privacy industry for so many years, um, the regulators really just want to know what's happening. Uh, so what we're seeing with a lot of um, the regulators is the fines are uh, really the last resort. Um, they want to know that when an organization gets breached, that the organization has it under control. Uh, so we're seeing fines uh, significantly lower or even uh, sanctions uh, uh, non-existent for organizations that actually report the, um, the data breach to regulators as quickly as possible, a comprehensive plan versus organizations that try and uh, keep it under wraps. Uh, those are the ones, uh, the last are the, the likely ones to get fined uh, to, a, to a significant degree. Uh, but going back to the Canada side, uh, the Canadian Privacy Commissioner has uh, publicly uh, stated uh, multiple times that uh, his office is uh, uh, requires additional funding, that at, at this point uh, they're really more of a an educator and, uh, and policy um, uh, drafter, yeah. <laughs> to, to put it light nicely. Mm -hmm. It's really still up to the, uh, the criminal uh, justice system uh, to, uh, to, to prosecute a data breach violation at this point. So That's right. uh, we have to go have through the courts in Canada. Exactly. We do have a lot of catching up to do in Canada. Thanks for that, Aaron. Um, and we'll wrap it up here. I want to thank you both uh, for spending the time to discuss this data. Uh, Spencer, thanks for bringing it to us. Uh, where can people read more about this CIRA, uh, the Canadian Internet Registration Authority Cybersecurity Report for 2020? Yeah, so if you want to go to CIRA.ca, uh, slash cybersecurity dash report dash 2020. Um, you can also find it on CIRA.ca. There's um, links on the main homepage as well. Um, and yeah, you can get all of the data. Um, for some questions, we have annualized data going back to 2018 because uh, this is the third year we've been doing this survey. And uh, yeah, I mean, it's interesting because when we first started doing the survey in 2018, there really wasn't a lot of good Canadian cybersecurity data. Um, you know, obviously since 2018, we've had the creation of the Canadian Center for Cybersecurity, which is super helpful, and they're a partner of ours. Um, but really, there hasn't been a lot of great Canadian-focused uh, data on cybersecurity. And so we started this report uh, three years ago, and we're happy with how it's grown and, uh, and some of the insights we've been able to get out of it. Okay, great stuff. Thanks again for coming. And I want to say thank you to our listeners for tuning in to Tech Insights. If you haven't subscribed yet, you can do that on many different places. You can go to anchor.fm slash techinsights to find all the different places you can subscribe to us. You can subscribe on Spotify, on Apple Podcasts, on Google Podcasts, and wherever else you get your podcasts. I'm Brian Jackson.